for joining us on the internet. Thank you for joining us in class. We're looking at snapshots of Jesus, and I have a question for you. The question is this, where Okay, I'm, I'm putting the blame on this on Brent because uh, he's gone. It's always safe. Hold on. Let's see what happens if I plug in the remote control. Here's my question for you. Where are you headed in life? Where are you going? What you got going on? What's your direction? At the start of every jury trial I have, we do something called and it's in Texas it's called Bordire. Um, other places of the US pronounce it like the French phrase it is with like voir dire or things like that. But here in Texas, the law school, we just look Bordire. It's the way it's spelled. V-O-I-R-D-I-R-E. Bordire. And they make fun of me when I go up to Ohio to try a case or Boston or LA, some of these other places, and everybody's like are you going to do voir dire? Are you going to do voir dire? And I'm like, no, I'm going to do voir dire. <laughs> voir dire is how you select a jury. It's when the lawyer gets up and starts asking you questions. One of the things I try real hard to do when I'm trying to pick a jury is try to find out what road they've been on for their life. What is it that's given them direction? What is it that has, has uh, uh, caused them to be where they are on that day? Because I believe if you know which road they've been on, you ought to be able to figure out where they're headed. And if I need to know if they're going to head the right way for me, I need to know which road they've been on. I was picking a jury in Wharton, Texas. <clears throat> I don't know, 15 years plus ago, maybe 20 years ago. And I, I started out picking that jury, and I'm looking at my list of jurors. And we get a list, and it'll have your name, it'll have whether or not you've been married, whether or not you've served before, how long you've lived in the county, it'll have your job. And I'm looking, and on the middle of the second row, Larry, right where you're sitting, is the preacher for the First Baptist Church of Wharton, Texas. I looked at him and I said, uh, Pastor so-and-so, yes. I'll just use your name, Larry. Pastor Shalette, yes. Um, I see you are the, uh, the pastor of the First Baptist Church of Wharton, yes. I said, have you ever been down here before for jury duty? He said, many times. I said, have you ever served on a jury? He said, never. I said, do you know why? He said, I have my suspicions. <laughs> I said, well, I'm going to tell you why. <clears throat> jury system in America and in Texas is geared around 12 different jurors. The idea being that the consensus opinion of 12 is the best way to get to truth. But when you put a pastor on the panel, the pastor is a very strong leader in that community. I said, so for example, how many of the people sitting around you, your fellow prospective jurors, do you know? He looked around. <clears throat> he said, all of them. <laughs> I said, how many of them go to church with you? He looked around, said, most of them are on the rolls, but they don't come all the time. <clears throat> I said, and that's the predicament. If a lawyer puts you on a jury, <clears throat> the odds are we don't have a jury of 12. We got a jury of one. Because these folks aren't going to cross up the pastor that they believe in enough to put their souls in his care. And he said, well, that makes sense. I said, so here's what I got to do. I've got to figure out where you're going to go. Because if you're going to go to the right place, I'm not going to be the lawyer that strikes you. And I looked at the other lawyer, daring him to at that point. <clears throat> Preacher said, okay. I said, what did you preach on last Sunday? He said, the love of Christ. I said, were you for it or against it? 
He said, I was for it. I said, that's good. I said, do you believe in right and wrong? He said, of course. I said, what's lying? He said, that's wrong. I said, when? He said, all the time. I said, all the time? He said, all the time. I said, what if two fellas, and I may have pointed over to the two defendants in the case, <laughs> want to tell a lie to try to get themselves out of trouble in court? Would that be okay? No, that'd be wrong. I looked at him and said, well, I'm not going to be the one to strike you. Let's keep going. Because I wanted that fellow on the jury. I knew the road he'd walked. And I knew where he'd head. If I could prove those two fellows were liars, this, this, this preacher's going with me. And sure enough, I spent the trial proving these two fellows were liars. And I got up for closing argument. And I looked at that jury and I looked at the preacher who was sitting on the front row at that point. Greg, right where you are, dead center. And I looked at him and I looked at the rest of that jury and I said, have y'all ever heard the expression preaching to the choir? And they said, they're not allowed to talk, but they kind of nodded their head. I said, I sort of feel like I'm preaching to the preacher. I said, so the text for my closing argument slash sermon is found from the Old Testament prophet Micah, who in the sixth chapter, the eighth verse, asked this question. What does the Lord require of you? And then he answered. He said to do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. I said that's the first part of his answer, to do justice, that's what you're here to do. I said, and as for love and mercy, I think if you do justice in this case, that's the best mercy you could have to these two fellows over here. Because we try to teach our kids by second or third grade not to tell lies. And somehow these fellows have made it into their mid-twenties and haven't learned that yet. And we need to teach them today. Now why do I say this is justice? And I launched into the closing argument. Now bless this defense lawyer's heart, <clears throat> fellow defending the insurance company. He, um, <laughs> he didn't know me from Adam. And he thought I was just some yahoo who struggled through the Bible and found some verse I could memorize to try and win the preacher. And he didn't understand that I have degrees in Hebrew and Greek and I translated that passage in college and I, I, he didn't understand that. He didn't think I knew anything. But he knows I've just won the preacher and he's just lost the case unless he can counter what I did. So he stands up and he starts his closing argument and he says the following. Mr. Lanier has quoted scripture to you, but did you notice he quoted from the Old Testament? We're not people of the Old Testament. We're people of the New Testament. Mr. Lanier has misdirected you. The scripture that applies in this case <clears throat> was written by the Apostle John. Now I got to tell you, at that moment he took a breath and during that breath I did that Evelyn Wood speed reading thing in my brain. I read the entire collection of John's writings in my brain. I started with John 1.1. I went all the way through the end of the gospel. I couldn't figure out where he was going. And then I went, well, maybe it's the epistles. No, it's not in 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. I thought, no, maybe he thinks Revelation. And I thought, well, Revelation, uh, Satan's called the accuser of the brethren. Maybe he's going to call me Satan. I thought, no, he, this, there's no way this fellow knows Revelation much less that passage and so I'd say all of that passes in my brain while he inhales <laughs> so with that I'll finish the story he says uh, the scripture that applies in this case is not found in the Old Testament it's found in the New Testament writings of the Apostle John who in a letter we call first Corinthians said <laughs> and I jumped up out of my seat said, objection, your honor. 
Everybody looked at me. I said, the Apostle Paul wrote 1 Corinthians, not the Apostle John. Now, Judge Scalar, being a church-going man himself, kind of rocked back in his seat and looked up at the ceiling like, am I allowed to take judicial notice of this? <laughs> See, that's a technical thing. Technically, you can't argue things that aren't in evidence, and that wasn't in evidence, but if it's something that's well-known enough, the judge is allowed to just take notice of it as being true, even though it's not in evidence. So he's kind of rocking back, decides, leans forward into the microphone and says, I'm going to have to sustain that objection. It was the Apostle Paul that wrote 1 Corinthians. And at that point, the preacher knew that not only were those two boys lying, but their lawyer wasn't doing too hot either. <laughs> and I tell you that long story both because it's so much fun to relate, but also because it carries this idea of where we've been really does help us figure out where we're headed unless we got a course correction. So I want to ask you, where are you headed in your life? Not because of jury duty, but because you may need a course correction. So here's what I'd like to do. Um, no, I don't want to do that. Hold on, hold on, hold on. This. Here's what I'd like to do. <clears throat> I want to ask you a question. How many road songs can you think of? Do I have sound on my computer? Let's see. On the road again. Did anybody think Just of that one? That's good. That's good. All right, let's try this one. Who? Tell me, be honest now. If you thought of this, you may not have thought of it. Roads, it's another good road song. Good. All right, now we're going to date some of you. How many of you thought of this song? Yeah, good job, Roger Miller. Now we're going to check some generational things. Did anybody think of... Thunder Road by the boss? Bruce Springsteen? Oh, heavens. We got work to do. <clears throat> There'll be some after-class homework, reading slash listening assignments for y'all. This is a wonderful song about life as a journey. And this is life where Bruce goes up to some gal's house. Her name's Mary. And he says, come on. Uh, you know, this, this starts out, the screen door slams. Mary's dress waves. And like a vision, she dances across the porch. As the radio plays Roy Orbison singing for the lonely. Hey, that's me. And I want you only. And so he says to her, don't run back inside, darling. He's trying to get her to go with him. To run away from this life. You know just what I'm here for. So you're scared and you're thinking maybe we ain't that young anymore. Show a little faith. There's magic in the night. You ain't a beauty, but hey, you're all right. Now, I do not recommend this song for Valentine's Day. Do not go to your beloved and say, hey, let's go out. You ain't a beauty, but hey, you're all right. Don't go there or you'll be going alone. But this idea of life as a journey uh-oh, my computer has just uh, decided it doesn't want to cooperate. This idea of life as a journey is not new. So now we're going to get into the text, but we're going to get into the text with a Greek word for the day. Your Greek word for the day is hodos. If you'd like, you can say it with me. Hodos. Hodos. That's fantastic. Your pronunciation was pristine. 
By the way, it shows up better if I do it that way. Hodos. Now, if we were to look up in a Greek New Testament lexicon, which is a Greek-English dictionary of sorts, we would see the first definition of hodos to be a way for traveling or moving from one place to another. So it could be a, a, a road, it could be a pathway, it could be a highway. You know, we've got roads today. I drove here on a road. Actually, I drove here on several roads. Back in that day, they had roads, highways of sorts, but not everything was a road. They didn't have them the way we do, especially if you were outside of the village or town itself. You'd just traipse on a path across a field. So that's, the, that's a hodos, that's the way. Now, it wasn't only a word used for the roadway or the path, but it also was a word for the actual action of traveling. When, when I was a kid, Rebecca, you were spared this because you grew up in a different generation. But when I was a kid, one of the things we would do on a Sunday afternoon for entertainment is get in the car and go for a drive. It was called Sunday afternoon driving. Gas was 29 cents a gallon. That was pretty reasonable. And it was fun. We go out driving and see the sights. The action of traveling also is the word hodos. All right? Now, it's not only the road, it's not only the action, but it also was a word that spoke of a way of behavior, the course of one's life. And we still use that today when we talk about what road you're on, if we mean it in a non-directional sense. <clears throat> now, here's an interesting thing about hodos and road. I want to put up here a timeline. And in the timeline, if we put Jesus' ministry starting around 30 AD, we won't quibble over the dates right now, the church is established three years or so after his ministry, Let's just put it about 33 A.D. And then we've got Paul hitting the mission field in the late 40s. Mid to late 40s. We've got Mark written somewhere, most scholars agree, around 60 to 70 A.D. So the church has been around for 25, 30 years. It's been thriving and growing throughout the Mediterranean world. It started out with a bang. 3,000 Jewish, con, con, uh, not con, 3,000 Jewish believers, that's the right way to say it, on that first day. Think about that for a moment. Now, during this time period, the church was called a number of different things. It, they were first, the believers were first called Christians at Antioch. But one of the, if not the most common names for the church during this period of time was Hodos, the way, or the road, or the course of life, or the place of traveling. Hodos is what the church was called. Let me give you some passages so you realize how prominent this was. If we look at Acts chapter 9, verse 2, <clears throat> Paul asks the high priest and the, the ruling council for letters to the synagogues at Damascus. So if he found any belonging to the way, taste hodu, that's the way. If he found anybody belonging to the way, Men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Then later on, Acts 19.9, 9, 
when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way. Here it's in the genitive, tain hodon. A genitive, I'm sorry, accusative. Before the congregation, about that time there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. It's the road. The path. Uh, Acts 22.4. Paul is explaining what, what he had done. He said, I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women. Acts 24, 14, Paul on trial. This I confess to you, or about to be, that according to the way, which they call a sect, the Jews were calling it at this point a sect, and then later Felix having a rather accurate knowledge of the way, put them off saying, when Lysias the tribune comes down, tribune comes down, I'll decide your case. See, the way. Tes hodu, tain hodon, hodos, the way. Acts 16, 17. Now here's an interesting one because the Greek that we've got, the original Greek manuscripts, the oldest Greek manuscripts that we've got, don't capitalize way when it's referencing church. Some of them are called uncials, and they will capitalize everything. They're written only in capital letters. Others are written in lowercase letters. But you don't have a capitalization. When we see it capitalized in, in text, it's the it, translators determining whether or not it means the way, referencing the church, or the way referencing the other use of the word. But some of them get a little bit ambiguous, and you can't really tell. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. Acts 18, he had been instructed, this is a, a, Apollos, Apollos had been instructed in the way of the Lord. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. Again, an ambiguous passage. But the ambiguity is fair because the, while the church was called the way, it was called the way for a reason. Because this is the road, this is the journey this is the, the way of life of those of us who are following the Lord. John 14 was written at a time where the church had been known as the way for quite a while. And I'm sure that John's readers were really tuned in to the pun of what Jesus was saying when Jesus says, you know the way to where I'm going. Thomas said, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said, I am the way. I'm the road. I'm the journey. I'm the, 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 the kind of life. I'm the lifestyle. Now this wasn't only a, a, a usage of this term by the New Testament church. One of the communities out in the wilderness by the Dead Sea, near the Dead Sea Scrolls. In fact, many ascribe a number of the Dead Sea Scrolls to this community in a place called Qumran. And in the Qumran community, the community itself referred to itself often as the way. So these are members of the way. And that denoted not just its membership, but its lifestyle. So I want us thinking about this because 16 times Mark uses this word, hodos, way. And he used it at a time where it not only had the idea of a road or a path, but it did also have the idea of people journeying in life. And it also had the idea of, of, of a unique journey that we make when we follow the Lord. The way of the Lord, the way of salvation. 
one that is different than the ways of the world. We should be on a different road. So where are you headed in life? Not because I want you out of jury duty or into jury duty, but because I think we need to sometimes ask that question. So for this class, I've got a little roadmap for you. And what I want to do is I want to make three quick stops and look at passages along each of these stops. The first stop are going to be just what is the path or the road usage of this term by Mark. And we'll look at a couple of those because they're instructive if we understand the fullness of of, of possibilities of the, this word and what it means in the Greek. And then after we look at the path of the road, we'll look at the way of life and stop there for a moment because Mark and Jesus are clear that when we follow him, it is a way of life. It's a lifestyle. It changes who we are and it changes what we do. And then we'll finish up to see again, maybe afresh, what it might mean for it to be the way of salvation as well. So with that in mind, we'll start with the, the path or the road passages in Mark. Here's Mark 10, 46. It's your first one. <clears throat> they came to Jericho. And as Jesus was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. Now, para with the accusative means by, and so it's by the road, hodos, just in an accusative sense, so it's a direct object. He's sitting by the road, by the way. Now, that's just a pretty general usage of the word, but it will become significant later on as we look at this story. Uh, I think Pastor Jarrett's got a reference to this passage in his sermon uh, uh, later today as well, if you've not been to church yet. Um, many, Mark 11, spread their cloaks on the road. This is the triumphal entry. And others spread leafy branches that they'd cut from the fields. Again, tone hodon there is just the road. It's the pathway. So you see Mark uses the word that way, and that makes a lot of sense. But now look at this, Mark chapter 4. Listen, behold, this is Jesus talking, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it didn't have much soil, and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold, sixtyfold, a hundredfold. Jesus says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, the disciples, they're perplexed. Great story, interesting story, fact of life, the way it goes. But what on earth does that have to do with the price of tea in China? And so Jesus explains it. And he says, the sower sows the word. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that's sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy, but have no root in themselves, endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They're those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word. And it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. Now, you may be wondering where was Hodos in that story? In two places. Jesus said he sowed some seed fell along the path. That word translated path is Hodos. And para there means next to it. 
So next to the path, some seed falls. And the birds came and devoured it. Then later on, Jesus says, these are the ones along the path, para hodon. Um, and, and this idea has perplexed a lot of people because they've said, mercy. So you can hear and be saved and then Satan comes and, and takes it away? And that's not what the passage is saying. The passage is talking about people who hear, but, but the, 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 the word never takes any root at all. These are just people along the path of life, along the journey. And they're there, they're by the road, but they're not in any place where the word is ever going to take root. And so you've got this there. That's the idea of it being a path or a road. But let's go into the ones that talk a little bit more directly in ways that may reflect our lives. Let's go to the way of life. We'll go to Mark 6 for this. Look for the word. See if you can figure it out. And he called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. Jesus charged his disciples to take nothing for their journey except a staff. No bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. And he said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place won't receive you and they won't listen to you, when you leave, shake the, off the dust that's on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and they proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. Now, here's the word. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff. And their journey is hodos. That's hodon in the form there, but it's hodos. It's the word. Jesus sends his disciples out to do ministry and on their way a word that, that to Mark's listeners is a recognition that, that this word is used of their entire community life. This is part of who they were. This is, is part of the fabric of their identity as followers of Christ. They are people of the way. And they're to take on the way. Nothing except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts. There is a message in this, that the Christian way of life is one of practical, everyday trust and faith in God. I know enough of you, and I know enough of me, to know that there are messes in this life that leave many of us unsettled, uncertain, maybe even miserable. At wit's end, not knowing where to turn and not knowing what to do. And in the midst of that road, the calling of Jesus for people of the way, people of the journey, people of his walk in life, is to trust God in practical, everyday things that He is going to meet your needs. Now that does not mean that every house they went to was going to receive them and give them a really incredible meal of DoorDash Chick-fil-A. There were some houses that weren't going to do that. There are going to be days where you've got dust on your feet and nothing to show for your walk with the Lord. But that's why it's a walk of faith. Because those are the days where you shake the dust off your feet and you get ready to move on to the next day. Trusting that God is going to make a way. Trusting that God is going to make provision. Trusting that God is going to do what God assures you He will do. So, well, I don't want that. I want to walk by sight. 
I'd like him to just lay it out. I don't mind being patient as long as I know exactly how it's coming down. Well, we're not going to get to be control freaks with God. I'd love to be. I don't care how much of a control freak you are. I'm more. I have yet to meet anyone who likes control more than me. And yet, God says, you're not in control. And what's going to happen on a need-to-know basis and you don't need to know? You just got to trust me and you got to put one foot in front of the other in your journey. And that's the practical application because we are people of the journey. We are people of the road. That's where we live. Next passage, Mark 8. In those days, when again a great crowd had gathered, and they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him. And he said to them, I have compassion on the crowd because they've been with me now for three days. They're out of food. If I send them away hungry to their homes, they're going to faint on the way. And some of them have come from far away. And his disciples answered and said, how can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? And he asked them, how many loaves you got? They said, seven. He directed the crowd to sit on the ground. He took the seven loaves. He gave thanks. He broke it and gave it to his disciples to set before the people. They set it before the crowd. They had a couple of fish. Better than my video thought for the day success last week. And having blessed them, he said that these also should be set before them. They ate. They were satisfied. They took up the broken pieces left over, had seven baskets, and there were about 4,000 people, and he sent them away. Where is it? Jesus saying in verse 3, if I send them away hungry to the homes, they will faint on the way. They will faint in the way. In with the dative. In the way. And Jesus doesn't want you fainting in the way. If you're in the way, if you're in the journey of Jesus, if you're following Jesus, the Christian life is one where God's going to see to all our needs. God is going to take care of our needs. He's going to provide. He does not want you to faint in the way. When you're following the way of Christ, he wants the way to be one. Now, I'm not saying they weren't hungry. Three days they were starving. That was his point. But this is the God who feeds. This is the God who provides. Look at Mark 9. They went on from there. They passed through Galilee. And he didn't want anyone to know because he was teaching his disciples, saying, the Son of Man's going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they'll kill him. When he's killed, after three days, he'll rise. But they didn't understand the saying. They were afraid to ask him. They came to Capernaum. And when he was in the house, he said, What were you discussing along the way? But they kept silent. For on the way, they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. And he sat down and he called the twelve and he said, If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. You picked up on it. Verses 33 and 34. What were you discussing on the way, the road they were on? What were you discussing on the way? And the answer is, I'm not saying, because on the, their way that they were going, their road, they were arguing about who was greatest. Now as Mark's writing this down, at a time where the church is called the way, the stark contrast that was now understood between what the people, the disciples of Jesus, those closest to him, were fighting about when he's on his way to be crucified for them. And they're fighting about which one's greater on their journey. I don't have time to relate it to this class, but there is a word in Greek of repentance, which is a big word in Mark. But repentance, we often think of as, gee, I'm sorry. 
the Greek idea behind repentance and Mark's idea is not, gee, I'm sorry. It's, I made a decision to turn around. I'm going to hook a U-turn. I'm going to do a 180. See, they're on the wrong path. Their journey's the wrong journey. They're arguing about who's the greatest. And Jesus is telling them, don't do that. The Christian life is not one of haughtiness. It's not one of arrogance. It's not one of I'm the greatest. It's not one of build me up. Contrary to the Roman world, contrary to the Greek world, contrary to the Jewish world, and contrary to the world today. Greatness is found in humility and serving. Greatness is not found in puffing out your chest and proudly proclaiming, look at me. It's not based on what you make. It's not based on your degrees. It's not based on how many friends you have. It's not based on anything except serving other people in the love of Christ. That's our path. That's our way. That's the way we're walking. And if we're walking any other way, we need to do a re-U-turn. There's an interesting passage in Mark 12. It starts in verse 14. Some of the Jews came to Jesus and said, Teacher, we know that you are true and don't care about anyone's opinion. We know that you're not swayed by appearances. But you truly teach the way of God, the road of God, the journey of God, the lifestyle of God. So is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay him or not? Now there's some insight here. Jesus doesn't tell them, oh, you're wrong, I'm not teaching God's way. Jesus acknowledges that he is in his answer. Because he tells them, take the coin, whose face is on it, Caesar's. Well, you give Caesar what belongs to Caesar, but give God what belongs to God. Because Jesus did, in fact, teach the way of God. The way of Jesus is the way of God. When we walk on the way, we are walking on the way of God. It's the same. Our journey following Christ. And Jesus said, if anybody's coming after me, deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. We walk the journey of Christ. And that's the journey of God. We are the people of Christ. We are the people of God. We are the way. For he is the way. As God said it to be. All right. Last couple of passages. Let's look at some on the way of salvation. Let's go back to the blind Bartimaeus passage in Mark chapter 10. This is the one where Jesus comes to Jericho. And as they're leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd... <coughs> Excuse me, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the way, sitting by the road. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And this was the embarrassment moment where many rebukes him and say, shh, be quiet. And he cries out even more, son of David, Ben David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stops. And Jesus says, call him. In fact, in the Greek, uh, I don't know that I put the Greek up here, but uh, Pastor Jarrett and I were reading this in the Greek yesterday, which is why I think he's got some of it in his sermon today. And I, I don't want to steal from what he's doing, but the Greek says, you know, and stopped Jesus. I mean, he stops and says, and it, and it emphasizes the word stopped. This was the, this blind Bartimaeus, he's the embarrassment. He's the, oh, come on, Jesus, let's get by this guy quick. Hurry, 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 hurry. And Jesus just says, stop. And Jesus says, call him. Get this guy out from the back. And they called the blind man, saying, all right, feel better, he's calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said, Rabbi, teacher, let me recover my sight. 
And Jesus says, go your way. Your faith has made you well. Sozo in the Greek. Same word as saved. It's saved you. Your faith has made you well. And immediately the man recovers his sight and follows Jesus on the way. This passage where Jesus said to him, go your way, your faith has made you well. You might say, well, he was telling him to go his own journey. No, go your way. Hupage is a verb. He's not using the word hodos there. He's saying basically, get up and go. Hupage, that's kind of what it means. Giddy up. Get up and go. And then he says, your faith has made you well. So, so Ken, is, is your faith, I mean, as well, it's healed you. But it's more than that in the sense that this word also has a, a very direct usage of the idea of salvation. It's not just healed you, it's saved you. And so immediately he recovered his sight and he followed him on the way. And here you've got the way of life. Jesus is telling him, get up and go. But he follows Jesus on the way. The course of life. And that's because our Jesus has the power of salvation. And I'm not just talking about an eternal salvation. I'm talking about a salvation in the here and now that lasts for eternity. Now, at some point, we got to shed these old duds and we've got to get a, a glorified body. And there's a new heaven and a new earth. But we are people who have salvation from God. Our way is a way of salvation. It's a path of salvation. That affects our life. And we get a hint of this at the very beginning of Mark. And as I get close, closing here, here's our last passage to look at. But remember how Mark started with that heavenly view of things. Mark 1, verses 2 and 3. Mark says, as it's written in Isaiah the prophet. <laughs> then he quotes Malachi. <laughs> That's okay. He's going to quote Isaiah the prophet down here but he warms you up with a little Malachi to get you ready for it. As it's written in Isaiah the prophet, Malachi, behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. And now, boom, Isaiah, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Both of these hodos. Behold, I'm going to send John the Baptist who will prepare your way. He'll prepare the way. How does he do it? By a cry of repent. Repent. Repentance means do a U-turn. Get off the road you're on. Get on a different road. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And this cry of repentance is a cry for the way of salvation instead of the way of death. Look, the, the road that leads to death is the road everyone is on if they don't do a U-turn onto the road of Christ. And the road of Christ is one of faith and it's one of trust and practical everyday things, but it's a way of salvation. So as I ask myself the question in light of this, where am I headed in life? I come to a couple of conclusions. Conclusion one. Life is a journey. We've got all sorts of songs. I mean the Willie Nelson song. By the way, did you hear he got hurt? Got hit by a car he was playing on the road again? <laughs> got hit by a car he was playing on the road again. Um, anyway... Life is a journey. There's a time to laugh and a time to cry. Life is a journey. And it's got good days and it's got bad days. And it's got uphill and it's got downhill. Unless you were my dad. My dad told us he had to walk five miles to school every day. And it was um, uphill 
both ways and in the snow. And he said, in the snow, it was uphill. You take a step forward and you'd slide two backwards. And, and I said, then how'd you ever get to school? He said, I had to walk backwards. <laughs> Life is a journey. And in this journey, I'm going to trust God. And I'm going to follow him on his way. That's our, that's our journey. And those are your journey snapshots. So, Professor Dr. David Capes, you will be teaching us next Sunday while I will be out of town. I will be on a journey, but I appreciate you teaching. The Greek professor will be in the house. You will get from Dr. Capes. Now, you realize when he teaches, that's like, how many years at HBU? 25 years teaching at HBU. He was dean of, I, I don't know what he was actually dean of. I call it New Testament theology. Probably not right. But it's something like that at Wheaton. So you're getting double private school, free class. And he doesn't even give a test. But you will be delighted. He's just finishing or has finished or is finishing a book on Matthew, which causes him to read a lot into Mark because of he's comparing the two. So he'll have some good snapshots for you. I will miss you next week, but I am eager to leave you in his hands. Let me bless you in the name of Jesus and we'll go to church. Uh, Father, in Jesus' name, uh, I ask your blessings on all who hear this message. That we will turn from any road we're on that's not your road. That our journey in this life will be one of following Christ in humility, in awe, in worship, as we love and serve those around us. That's our prayer, Father. Draw us to the heart of Christ. In Jesus we pray. Amen.